Artcast, your weekly podcast for insight into the articles to read, decks to play at FNM, cards to buy and sell, and insight from Robert Martin and Channel Fireball's own Tristan Sean Gregson. It's time for Hardcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Hardcast. I'm Tristan Sean Gregson here with my devoted co-host, Robert Martin. How are you doing tonight, Robert? I'm doing wonderful. It's a busy week for me. I don't know about you. What's what's new on the, the Twitters and the Internets and all of your magic followings? It seems like there's a lot of interest in what happened last weekend, early in the week, about the decks that were played. I guess the exciting news is there is a potential all-women's podcast coming together. See, again, we come from different worlds. Like, you keep setting up these sentences, and you're like, Everyone's a buzz about legacy. Everyone's a buzz about every commander deck having a soul ring, and like I keep thinking, and now you're going to take it a different direction. An all female podcast. What? Who's in this cast of all stars? Uh, uh, M. J. Scott. She's an artist. We have uh, Maltrifting Lauren Lee, and I believe there's now three others, including one who joins us on Monday Night Magic. She'll be in it. It's going to be interesting. It should be a lot of fun to get perspective of that. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's always nice to have input from any females who are interested in magic. Uh, you know, I've been around this game long enough that, you know, being prepubescent and into magic definitely alienated you from a lot of social circles where there were girls, and it took a long time to kind of, like, uh, go beyond that stigma to be able to, you know, find ways to relate, uh, you know, find larger groups of magic players in order to find them. Uh, so I, I'm always interested in, you know, what draws them in. I know so many chicks that just, they don't, I mean, even if they, like, they don't have a competitive edge, they don't have a competitive edge that would, you know, want to express itself in the fashion that magic is, or they don't like, you know, smelly PTQ halls, or, you know, I, I don't know, I, I, uh, I, I'm interested, to say the least. Debates over why are there two cards in the event deck that's going to drop the price of it down to 15 bucks going forge mystic so what, what what was what was the what was the problem or what's the what's the conundrum of the week in in regards to uh stoneforge mystic well nobody wants to see the price of their cards drop i guess i mean at this point are there more people sitting on them that are sad they're going to be worth less than the number of people that are you know that the, there's demand for and actually want to get their hands on these cards and are excited about the opportunity to get them at a Less expensive rate is that really what we've is that really what we approached to? Has there been enough world wake opened at this point where it's at that stage? I mean, to, to me, it doesn't feel like it. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm in a similar boat. I'm definitely sad that I had Stoneforge Mystics at the time of the announcement and didn't you know didn't dump them as they were still being played and you know, yes, they've gone down in value, but uh, there have been far worse things that have happened to Magic collections and values of cards in the past, and I think that this is just kind of a um, a function of the way things are printed right now, and I still think $15 is pretty solid for your Stoneforge Mystics. I, would, I think a lot of people on the on the way up on that card bought it for around that much, so you're renting for $0. It can't be that bad, right? No, but everybody, like you said, enjoys the fact of making money or feeling that their cards <laughs> are worth more. Yes, and, uh, you know... We can't win them all, all the time, and it happens to all of us, and I'm still, I mean, like, I'm in a similar boat. I'm not going to take a loss on my Stoneforge Mystics, but I'm not going to make nearly as much as I thought I was going to when I was done with them. Well, the other thing that we had last weekend was, obviously, the Legacy Tournament. 
Team Channel Fireball did quite well. Not surprisingly, Owen made another top eight. And it's now level six already for the season. Bam. As in his own words, very convenient for the Pro Tour in Japan uh, this week or this coming week. or t- I don't know when you're listening to this. It might have happened two years ago. I don't know. Uh, yes, o- Owen is, is rolling. That is for sure. Also, Paulo made the final four, like we talked about on Wednesday Morning Magic, if you'd like to call it, that <laughs> eyeballs went away the minute Paulo went off the screen. And that's what makes the Pro Tour so exciting is that you're going to see a name every round on the coverage, and that's going to be good. I think it's it's equally important to point out that, you know, it's there are magic personalities, there are magic celebrities. I mean, these, uh, these things exist, and you can see that directly in the fact that there is, you know, viewership for a particular player's matches, and that viewership drops off when he or she isn't participating in the match. Um yeah, you know, I, I maybe this is more apparent today than it has been in the past, but I think that the idea of you know a, a larger pool of the pros, the players to watch is still a relatively new thing for Magic. I mean, it's not you know it's not eight ten years ago when it was like is Kai playing? Is Kai in the feature match? I want to see. I want to see it. I want to watch these things. It's not you know is is, is Finkel in the coverage? I want to watch the or listen to these things. Um, you know, it's it's a wider canon and. Well, PV is still one of those those biggest name players. It's uh, it's even a little surprising to me just to to, to watch the discrepancy. I mean, you're saying um, it was something like over 3,500 people were watching the stream while he was playing, and once he got eliminated, it it dropped off to under 1,500. Yes, yeah, something like that. In that general ballpark. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know one of the bigger questions is so many of the third party sites do so much to push the publicity of their own pros. Uh, you know, Blackboard, Child Fireball, Star City Games, TCG Player, uh, MTG Chicago, all these kind of, you know, sites that try to, to uh, you know, label your own pros. Uh, is Wizards, you know, how, how, is there ever going to be a change to that? I mean, is, is that something we can expect to see with the changes to the Pro Tour in the coming years? Is it going to be more like an all-star lineup? Is it going to be your, your kind of the spectator World Series of Poker style where all of a sudden you're looking in the inside of the lives of these guys and their personalities and personas and you find even more reasons to root for and against these players? Um, I'll be interested to see because this obviously it translates into ratings as far as that's concerned. I'm looking forward to the coverage and also the fact you're going to be there, so... Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't even. This is kind of a transition pro tour. Uh, you know, it's the last year of the the current kind of setup for them. I mean, yes, we'll have public events. Yes, we'll have side events. Yes, there'll be dealers there because of those other things are going on. And um, it's it's almost kind of like a swan song to the current format. You know, this this event in Philadelphia and maybe even Worlds this year might be, you know, uh, the end of an era type events. And who knows what we'll see in the year afterwards. But for now, it's just like, to me, it's one more opportunity to relive the style of events I've come to love and well, we'll see. We'll see. But yes, uh, I will be in Japan. I will uh, hopefully sneak my way onto coverage one way or another, um, and we'll. we'll I'll, I'll report back and see exactly how different things are currently. We can kind of get a, a better idea of how things are transitioning. That is going to be a lot of fun, especially if they do, like they said, expand their actual coverage and not just give us the top eight and the four-hour delay in coverage that we normally get. 
I am looking forward to that tremendously. But speaking of Owen, and I seem to bring this up every month after Owen does well, LSV's prediction of Owen possibly being player of the year, is it now becoming more of a reality? I don't think it was. I don't think there was a point where it wasn't a reality, and I think this uh, beginning of this year with Owen's performance at Atlanta really kind of uh, already laid the groundwork for that situation and that, you know, I don't want to say eventuality, but uh, a very possible scenario. It seems like the player of the year title has been magnified a lot after the Brad saga um, in the previous, you know, year or so. So I could see kind of the... um, the aftermath of that being, you know, more excitement around it. Although, you know, being a Channel Fireball team member, being somebody that, um, you know, wasn't clearly marked on the map just a couple of years or seasons ago, uh, it's all the more exciting for Owen and um, not only his skill, but the amount of time and energy he's put into it. And, and yes, I mean, if Luis was here, he would be uh, trumpeting himself about predictions like that. What makes this fun is the fact that Owen now could be the person that next year at this time that we could be wanting to watch on coverage all the time. Because if he wins player of the year, obviously that's going to put him in front of everybody. And just like with Brad, if he's there, they're going to want to see him. True. I, I, I'm surprised at how much you're desperately trying to jinx Owen, though, by, by throwing these things out. So, I mean, yes, I guess we've we've crossed the halfway threshold in the year, but there's still a lot of events left to be played. Um, you, you know, I really like this is a discussion to probably have in three weeks after we um, see results of Singapore and um, Nagoya itself and Kansas City and then kind of see where the players fall, because that's, that's a lot of pro points being handed out in the next few weeks. I have faith. He's from Milwaukee. I have to have faith. Got to bring it home for us. There's a there's only a proud few that uh, share that sentiment. I just you know, hate the Channel Fireball team and those of us in Milwaukee. Hey, we're good with this. Okay, that that works for me. All right, all right, all right. So what else is on our uh, agenda this evening here? Next is Grand Prix Singapore with the pros getting only one day off at home, but then off. What are some of the challenges they'll face because of this? And does this handicap? some of the members from the Channel Fireball team because of the fact they only get one day and then they have to go. Sandy caps everybody, especially in North America. Um, anyone that, you know, put a lot of time and energy into Providence uh, that is traveling a lot and competing, it's going to be a challenge for all those players. It's not even team dependent. I mean, you already this week have, you know, been following the Twitter feeds of the Facebook posts by a lot of the guys and the troubles and tribulations of all of this travel and, you know, it's funny. Any given month of the year, if you were to go from California to Rhode Island, Rhode Island to California, California to Singapore, uh, that would be, you know, a crazy journey in and of itself. But then you got to, you know, tack on all the more stops, um, you know, with the Pro Tour and the following Grand Prix after that. And this is just kind of the, the middle. And, um, you know, sleeping overnight in airports, battling jet lag, there's a lot of things that um, you've got to overcome, and you know, I was joking uh, with Connolly earlier in the week. It's like you know, no, you know, there's no, there's no glamour in it. And no one else ever going to be easy, but if you want to be able to be at all these events, get those pro points, kind of grind out this lifestyle, there are going to be some, some, some tough situations like this. And you know, even me sitting back at home is kind of like, oh, you know, how miserable can it be? You travel the world, you get to play a card game, but there's still, you know, like the Luis found himself. Sleeping overnight in the Tokyo airport this week for that that very reason, and you're uh, you fight your battles even even if they're a little bit different than you're used to in your normal 
white or blue collar day to day life. Give an advantage to Shuhei because he's back home. Um, kind of. So, like Shuhei is such a road warrior that I, I think the advantage comes in the fact that you could send him all over the globe, and that's what he's used to. Um, obviously, you know, home turf slash guys that are travel hardened are going to be the most you know mentally prepared for these events outside of testing. Uh, that's not to say that, you know, during a lot of the waking hours, guys like Connolly and Luis and Webb aren't spending their time doing the, the drafting, playing online. I mean, uh, at this point, and New Phyrexia has made it into every facet of Magic Gathering online, so there's all the tools you need to really be able to play anywhere you have an internet connection in your computer. So hopefully, uh, you know, just you just got to battle the mental elements and to physically get to these locations and then perform, do what you do. I mean, it's, it's not it's not the first rodeo for these guys. Well, we have our cube quadri of the week, and I'll have you read it since it's your question. Um, you know, I was debating some people this week about um, you know, casting costs and, and you know, like not to go too big and not to go for overarching themes, but like you know, larger spells. You know, do you, I know uh, a guy that cubes a lot where it's like nothing in his cube costs more than six mana to cast. Um, you know, is is six the top end? Do you have spells that cost seven, eight, nine? Um, recently in my updates, I've kind of tweaked the signets, tweaked the mana artifacts, kind of changed things around, and, and just kind of for kicks, I added. Um, well, not just for kicks, but I did really seriously try it out. I added Emrakul and Ulam. Or sorry, not Emrakul. I added Kozilek and Ulamog. That would be the ten and eleven casting cost crazies from Rise of the Eldrazi, and they have seen. Um, you know, mixed results, but they've been entertaining all around. And there was definitely a match where somebody tooth and nailed Ulamog into play and won the game handily. Then the following game, his opponent briberied it into play out of his opponent's deck and won the game handily. And um, these kind of swingy effects, you know. But my 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 bigger question was, you know, like, do you limit yourself on what you put in? Do you, you know, how much time do people really put into that? Is there an upper limit? Because you talk so much about like what competitive, you know, competitive spells. Um, competitive cards, and how the vast majority of them do not have large casting costs on them. You know, the the beef of competitive tournament magic, the the beef of the most powerful cards are kind of that one to four casting cost range, and, you know, cheating to five if you can't forcible, or, you know, various other things. But that's that's kind of the, the bigger question. I, and, you know, to kind of connect it to kind of a, a, kind of a mental exercise to think about while you're at it, and one of the games we like to play around the office when we're bored is um, just, like, magic lists of things to come up with. And a good one of those examples is, like, you know, name every red sorcery that costs six mana or more that was tournament playable. And then we would, you know, have a debate in the office going back and forth. It's like, well, wildfire. Okay, well, decree of annihilation. Well, does decree of annihilation count? Like, you know, like things like that. And it kind of gets those kind of mental juices flowing or you kind of think about these scenarios. So um, that, 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 is, that is kind of my, my quandary of the week. I don't have a definitive answer or, or kind of uh, anything to preach. It was more one of those, you know, if you play, what do you think about these things? You know, what does your play group do? What are your feelings on it? Because, you know, even a card like Upheaval, I talked about it um, at length with a guy that cubes a lot again this week, or he was 
preaching. It was the best card in Cube, and I just I couldn't swallow the idea. I was just like, well, it's good. It's mildly situational. Doing it defensively often still leads to losing. Like setting it up is key, but in no way it felt like the best card. And I think some of the the funny responses I got through Twitter involved, uh, you know, like how how could a six mana sorcery be the best card in the cube? That doesn't make any sense. So there there you have it. That is my uh, my monologuing of the week for cube. Please leave your comments and thoughts on the response page, or send an email to tsg at channelfireball dot com. There you go. There you go. Send sending everything my way. Don't want to take any heat, do you? It's, I'm not the one with the magic cube like you have. I, I don't know. I've definitely seen you have success with eight casting cost creatures before, so, you know, don't, don't, don't knock it. What's the decision on that, by the way? Taking the cube or no? Oh, um, um, it's still up in the air. Uh, for those of you that don't follow me on Twitter, which is, uh, I have to assume everyone listens to this podcast. Uh, I was just debating this week whether or not to bring my cube to Japan or not. I'm, I'm kind of responsible for all the uh, store stuff on our trip. We're not taking too much staff. And, uh, you know, normally, even like any GP, any kind of, like, you know, event weekend I go on, I, I have it with me. It's kind of like the go-to entertainment thing. All the roadies that we're with, we'll, you know, we'll play it in the downtime. But Japan seemed like it was going to be a lot more hoops to have to jump through. It's already, you know fun enough to go through airport security with that thing, because if you put it through an x-ray scanner, it just looks like a giant, like, metal brick in a rectangle form, and that usually makes TSA really unhappy and want to talk to you a whole bunch as they slowly dissect it and try to figure out, you know... A sweet side story to that one is I had a friend coming back from a, a Grand Prix in Baltimore, and he had all of his cards from his deck taken out of his luggage... Each card was unsleeved from his 75-card deck, and each sleeve was thoroughly inspected for cocaine trace amounts to make sure that he was not smuggling anything back with him. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The funny thing is, after the fact, like, you know, after after the whole thing, because the, you know, the whole situation delayed him quite a bit, uh, he came back, and, you know, when he tells the story, he's always, the best part is always like, you know, I never would have thought of this, but now you've told me how to do it, so in the future... If I ever need to move coke around, I know how to do it. The interesting stories you get on, only on hardcast. <laughs> anyway, I know a couple of guys from the Bay Area that are traveling over there. They're you know people like you with often that have volunteered to take it under their wing. I just I don't know if I want to. It's not even like a lack of trust. It's more like I don't know if I want to put that much of a burden on somebody where it's like if you lose this thing during international travel, I'm taking your car. I'm taking, you know, other things you own, and you're not getting them back. So be careful. Um, you know, I, I want to, and I know we're going to be there a long time. And I just keep trying to tell myself, you know, there's plenty of other stuff to do there. I don't need to cube, but there are so many magic players there, it seems stupid not to have it. So uh, to, to, to try to shorten my answer down as much as possible, I don't know yet. If you see me in Japan, look, hit me up. We'll try to cube. I, my vote was no. As much as I've enjoyed it when you've had it with you, other things to talk about this week. We have block coming up, and you've actually been testing it a little bit. Uh, I, I haven't had much of an opportunity, but I've been following the um, MTGO daily results. Uh, I, again, I have a, a few friends locally that aren't you know, like official team Fireball members, but guys I know that have queued through various methods that um, have asked for my help. So. I'm just trying to put together some decks and, you know, every time I have an, an opportunity, try to play a little bit with them. So between uh, Luis requesting crazy deck lists of cards and bouncing off many ideas and people trying to jam in as many uh, new Phyrexia drafts as possible before the event and 
kind of absorbing all that MTGO knowledge that the the, the collective provides. Uh, there's a, there's a lot going on right now with block. It'll it's um it's interesting. It's one of those formats I wish amateurs got to play more and more often because it it can be a lot of fun to play constructive with the most limited card pool you get to. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't, I don't have any like incredible secret information to give away, and I don't have uh, you know any alternatives. I, like, I mean, like uh, you know, mono green poison is very popular. A lot of poison variants are very popular. Um, kind of big red, kind of like um, tempered steel decks. Some uh, grand archetype decks with various trinket mage, treasure mage combinations. Um, Nothing too crazy, nothing too combo-y. I mean, quality creatures, aggro creatures, quality removal, and kind of the two-for-one card advantage is kind of the, the groundwork for a lot of magic. So cards like Oxo, Scrab Melter, Viridian, uh, Corruptor, Treasure Mage, you know, Koth of the Hammer, Tezzeret the Seeker, Elspeth Knight Errant, these are all, like, value cards. So in a, in a lot of the very, like, vanilla preliminary decks, you're seeing a lot of them being played. Um and, you know, that's that's the excitement of a time like this and um, competitive magic is that you really get to be wowed at the weekend where it's like, you know, what cool, exciting, outside-the-box different ideas will be played and will come up with and what's the craziest sideboard card or the craziest answer to something or, you know, sometimes they're simple. Sometimes you just play Flame Slash in your deck and it's good. Doesn't Flock give us a small view of what the next competitive season might be? Um, yes. To kind of restructure that question, anytime you get to see a full block and a block format, you're kind of, you know, peering a little bit into the future of what Constructor will look like, uh, uh, you know, down the road after the the other full, fully kind of flushed out block leaves. Um, you know, sometimes it's more of a barometer, and sometimes it's less. Uh, if you remember, you know, we'll, we'll use recent past, obviously, as the best examples. Shard, Shard's Block, Shard's Block Constructed was a whole mishmash of four-color, five-color awkward monstrosities of cascading and, you know, the Japanese playing like a green-white beat-down deck to kind of go against the crazy four- or five-color vein. And I think the... Uh, the lessons learned out of that were the Jund-esque colors and the Jund-esque cards and the Cascade effect were all very powerful, very good. And you saw that bleed over into Constructed until you really got well, you know, what Jund is today. Um, you know, moreover, you've got the rug deck from uh, San Juan, piloted to great success by a lot of Team Fireball. And, and this is a great example because now you see kind of like the mana base and the core of the deck from Block being melded with the you know, powerful, diverse threats of type 2 cards like the Titan Cycle, um, and you kind of, you really get to see those things kind of blend together. So, you know, it's interesting to kind of watch the, you know, if you're a an active player, a market watcher, you know, a lot of people will jump at block results as far as picking up cards, and you have to kind of stop and be like, oh, okay, well, you know, like, is the value of these things higher or going to be worth more because of the block results? Or are these decks going to be able to translate into Type 2? Is there value in what you're seeing now? I mean, you know, is Glistener Elf going to be a dollar common in a little while because a mono green poison deck is going to be in standard, yes or no? Um, is it kind of a more a block-centric thing only? I mean, again, in Zendikar Block, you did see uh, mono black vampires, and, you know, that was more or less a deck in, constructed in Type 2 moving forward. Again, it had red in it. It's a little bit different. 
Um, you know, it's exciting to watch regardless. It's just one of those things where you might have an opportunity to kind of like strike while the iron's hot on cards that are going to be good in the in the coming year for constructed. But not everything's a home run. Sometimes stuff you see in block is just in block and nowhere else. How does that translate towards what you do as a store? I, I think what you'll find is that the players are still the ones that define the market. Um, if you had a top eight where five of those top eight all had green in their deck, and they all played four copies of Thrun, and they all played, like, you know, if they had, like, 16 of the same 75 cards, and they were all kind of integral to their their um, strategy or theme, you're just going to, those cards are just going to sell immediately. So the market will dictate it itself, and all of a sudden, we'll, we have to shift with it. We're going to want to acquire more of them. The price is going to go up. Kind of that whole demand side of supply and demand. Um, and, and again, block can kind of be one of that, kind of that guessing game where players are just going to, like, you know, snap think cards are going to be good and they're going to want to buy them. They're going to want to stockpile them. They're going to want to acquire them. It's like, you got to look at the bigger picture and be like, okay, well, you know, how does that really affect type two or not? Just today, if there are five players right now that are not Team Fireball that you would like to watch. Five guys I'd like to watch play Magic that don't play for my team. Yes. Yes, I can, I can populate this list very quickly. Um, I always like watching Brian Kibler play. Same with Eric Froelich. Um, Pat Chapin is actually very entertaining to watch play. Um, see, I don't really like. I don't really get to watch Magic players. I think it more of like the characters and like their nuances and what make them different. It's like Eric is much more subtle, and even even Brian kind of goes to a quiet demeanor when he's playing. I've got to come up with two more. Give me a second. Give me a second. I mean, I, I, I would, you know, I, I'm still like, I'm a old school Hall of Famer sucker. Like, I, if I was going to be at a PT, I would want to find the Rob Doherty's and the Darwin Castles and the John Finkels and the Kai Buies of the world out there. They're playing, and I, I enjoy watching them even more today than before because it's kind of like you, you know they're not dissecting things on top of formats as much as they used to be. So, kind of just watching more natural. Skill and and uh, and play is uh, exciting. You know, if like I can remember, I, I was in a, an event a few years back, and uh, John Finkel was there, and I remember it was like a draft or something. He had to like you know pick up and read somebody's like uncommon or something during a draft, and it was kind of like you know, so what if he doesn't know what that card did before right now? So what? He he he's fine. I think he ended up winning that game. Good example. Um, so, yeah, I, I, there you go. There's my, my answer to your offbeat question. I will tell you the one person that I really enjoyed, and that was back at Worlds when I saw Apollo play against John Randall in a match that it seemed to go on for, I don't know, it seemed like it was two or three hours. <laughs> it seemed the match never end, but the way... Those two were playing mental chess against each other was absolutely phenomenal, and it it's those kind of matches that you see that take longer than normal, and you could just see where every move is being calculated and recalculated in their head. That's to me what makes makes it fun. And like you said about Chapin, he's constantly like looking at things and looking at his cards and just oh my god, just playing next to him tilts me. It's so <laughs> difficult. He's fun. He definitely brings the full character out when it comes to magic. I know, and that's part of his game, and that's what that's what makes the showmanship of it and the and the uh, 
that whole side of it entertaining. It's like it's that that part is fun to watch. Stone Forge the Battle Skull has gotten many of the pros at GP Providence not thrilled with the format is going. Is this forcing Wizards to make a potential banning? Uh, I would be surprised. Um, I think that Living Weapon is in many ways the culprit here. The fact that you get a threat on top of an equipment is a kind of a big deal, as well as, you know, like a life-linking one. Life-linking one. So if you think about the, the Batter Skull, just the card by itself, you've got something that circumvents not only artifact removal, removal but also creature removal while being a threat, you have a card that kind of circumvents, you know, Red's key strategy, which is, you know, draining, taking your opponent's life total down as quickly as possible. Um, you know, so all of those aspects kind of warp kind of the, the classic standards of magic. And adding, you know, Stoneforge's ability on top of it does lead to a seemingly very annoying, difficult to overcome kind of collection of abilities. Do I think it's ban-worthy? I don't... I, I'm, I'm going to go with no. I mean, but I'm one of those people that, you know, I, I almost I, I almost never want to ban something. I just think that you're not... you're not looking at the problem the way you should be if your answer is to ban something. Um, I think if you... you know, if you've looked at all the angles, if you spent all the time, and don't think there's a good answer or a good way to shift things where it's not as, you know, dominating or aggravating then you need to ban something. And I don't think people have spent as much time with it as, as they need to. I mean, you're talking about the legacy format. You're talking about the format where you have Cross and Grip. You have Pithing Needle and Frexian Revoker. You have um, you know, like other ways to turn off abilities, to answer cards. It's, it's not... It's not standard. It's not block. It's like you know, it's, you're not looking at a smaller card pool where this could be more of a problem for a longer period of time. Um, and again, more cards will be printed. You know, like if, you know, if this was ever to become so over the top complicated and aggravating, this is an easier answer to fix than the card Sensei's Divining Top. It's like Sensei's Divining Top counterbalance is a very powerful combination of two cards. It can lead to a lot of unwinnable situations for an opponent. It could be kind of set up early. You know, there was a time in the legacy format as well as the standard format where you know, this was a combination of cards that was played a lot. Things shifted, new ideas came around, um, you know, decks changed, format changed, here we are, we didn't have to ban, you know, cards surrounding it or any of those key cards, you know, life moves on. Uh, I'd like to think that in legacy that's going to happen again and you know, things will happen. The format will shift. I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not afraid this is going to be a, an unfixable problem that's going to require a banning. Uh, again, I, I come from a, one of those schools where it's just like, you know, I lived through the summer of Affinity. I remember the Black Summer. Um, you know, you, 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 you fight it where you can. It's, it's kind of a, it, to me, it's like a, it's an interesting challenge. It's something else you get to come at. Um, so my vote is no, and I'd like to think that, um, you know, come the 20th, there will not be, you know, any kind of, up, I mean, if there's an uproar, it's that nothing changed. Then Survival of the Fittest was a poor banning also? Survival of the Fittest wasn't a poor banning. If you go back and actually watch the Magic TV episode where Luis and I kind of break it down, um, the reason Survival of the Fittest got banned isn't because it has interaction with Vengevine that has a very positive result. 
It's the fact that it's the complete package. That one card does everything. Uh, it, you know, gets your harmonic sliver, it gets your venge vine, it gets your, you know, whatever the card is. It, it feeds it, it powers it up, it gets your basket wall, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's, it's in, in a way, it's a one card combo. I mean, Batter Skull, the card by itself, it's a five mana equipment. You know, that's, I don't think that's really, where the problem is being stemmed from. Deck this week, and it's, again, from my friend Smitty, who's a rogue deck builder, the Conley Woods in Training, as I like to call him. And he named this deck Angles, and he said that this is the one deck that could potentially, and the word is obviously, potentially break Birthing Pod. And that's what he's been trying to do. I, I have seen um, birthing, birthing Pod variants... Uh, as well, recently, there's actually a green-white list that I was pretty fond of, and it had some of the cards on this list. Blade Splicer is one of the most fun with Birthing Pod because you have to go you have to go bigger with Pod. It doesn't allow you to stay the same or even go smaller. That kind of versatility would mean it could do even crazier things. But uh, the great thing about Blade Splicer, kind of in the middle of the Pod chain, is that you get to go back to zero to find new ones, and you get to keep growing, going from three upward. So kind of a, you know, an innocuous 1-1 one, one, or even a, a kind of a call the herd ask token can kind of continue to chain your combo together, which is pretty awesome. Um, yeah, other versions I've seen run sweet tricks like uh, Silvac Replicas and you know, I'm trying to remember, like Precursor Golem is also pretty popular. It's kind of that, that same vein as uh, Blade Splicer. I just like the fact that it, it encompasses the Elish Norn in the deck. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, that same friend of mine that um, was working on the green white deck, he talks about how um, so like he took it to a PTQ. I think he went uh, like four and two, or maybe like five and three, or something. He, it wasn't quite good enough to get there on the day because he was battling many a batter skull. Um, but he jokes about how when he takes that deck back to F and M, he goes all the way from zero to seven, seeing so an Elish Norn into play for fun, and he does, says he does it pretty consistently, which seems like it'd be a lot of fun. Anytime it's something different, it doesn't require Squadron Hawks or anything like that. It makes me happy. <laughs> we also have 5 of 5 down, and not ironically, this has an awful lot to do with what happened potentially last weekend. As I suspected, um, you know, big legacy results have big effects on legacy prices. I'm just excited that, um, you know, it's not all obvious, and that's really where the biggest moves can happen. It's on um, kind of new stuff. Fun stuff, in my opinion. Cool stuff. But but take us away. We'll go up this time. Show and tell. Seems kind of obvious, but uh, Emmercool's good buddy just got a new friend in the form of Hivemind. So you kind of take that uh, that shell and add a little bit of uh, flavoring to it, and you've got a slightly more expensive show and tell and a very sweet deck. And Hivemind also attaches to that also. Hive mine is up this week. It, I mean, it couldn't go down anymore in its lifetime. Sitting at a quarter rare for uh, since the day it was printed was pretty much where it was at. I mean, it's a lot of fun and casual. Um, I've had it in the sideboard of my very fun Warp World decks in the past when they were in Type 2 to kind of screw with those control decks. But again, all in good fun. But it's good to know that my signed copies have moved up in the world and are worth more than a quarter now. So, yes, Hive Mind has more than quadrupled in value this week. And the card that made Pablo's deck go standstill. 
You know, Standstill is one of those cards where I'm surprised it's taken so long for it to be worth as much as it is now, and I think could still be even worth more. Um, you know, for a while recently, this was like an eight or a nine dollar uncommon. Uh, when there are so many cards surrounding it that could be worth so much more, and we know that these cards can can be worth so much more. Uh, I, I would kick it myself now because I kept thinking I should stockpile at the eight or nine dollar mark, and now we're looking at you know fifteen dollar uncommons. Uh, and I don't see a reason for this card to drop. I think is kind of my my biggest point. Like I'm not saying you know go out and stock up at fifteen dollars because it's going to be worth twenty five and this time next year, but I think that. It's it, its quality is right there in front of you. That's not going to change anytime soon. This is a card you should have. You play Legacy. If you don't, I'm a little surprised. Um, but you know, trade for them. If you can still get them at that eight or nine dollar value. That's a huge win. Uh, and it's you know, it feels like it, it feels more like what it should be worth. Is what I'm saying. And a card I like is Energy Field. Yeah, this one kind of straddles the line between uh, competitive Legacy playable and more that uh, casual format card. This one's kind of spiked up out of nowhere. Um, you know, used to be a four or five dollar rare, and now we're looking at uh, easily over ten. So if you can still get them back at that old price, bye bye bye. The last one, which was interesting, is uh, Magistrate Scepter. <laughs> See, to me, it's far it's far less interesting than some of the other ones on this list this week. Uh, proliferate is, you know, a lot of fun. And if you take that over into casual formats, all of a sudden you got infinite turns, my friend, with old Magistrate Scepter. Uh, I assume this is, you know, 90-plus percent driven by Commander Flavor. But uh, Scepter, which was, you know, like an innocuous 50-cent dollar rare, is worth, you know, four or five times that now. And um, it's definitely one of those, like, kind of hidden gems in people's trade binders you want to pick up and will probably still be valued pretty low. But uh, this card is only on the up right now. It's it's definitely a card worth having if you're a casual format player or an avid trader. When you put that card on the list, I had to look up the rule on it because I wasn't sure how it went if you had multiples of it. And it says, if multiple extra turn effects resolve in the same turn, take them in the reverse order that the effects resolved. I'm just picturing this multiple, multiple turns of just go, 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 proliferate, proliferate, boy. That could be quite interesting to say the least. Yeah, all you need is your. Uh, what do you What do you need there? You need like an ever flowing chalice and a couple of uh, a couple of contagion clasps, and it's pretty much game over. Definitely an interesting combination, and you know what? I think I've seen that card before, as like you said, a dollar card sitting in a dollar bin somewhere, and you look at it and go, "That's going to take me." 12 mana to actually make it to take an extra turn? Yeah, it, it's funny, um, you know, Masks has in many ways been kind of the redhead stepchild block of magic for what seems like forever. And, uh, you know, with these slower formats, these casual formats, you're really kind of seeing their kind of, you know, powerful effects like take an extra turn, make sure it, you know, takes forever to get there. But you're seeing cards like that all of a sudden find a home, have value, you know, high market's gone up in, in value as a card, no pun intended. Uh, black market has also gone up in value. And there's a, there's a card that I remember being in the bulk rare, you know, bins everywhere forever. All of a sudden, you know, black market is a, is a you know, multiplayer format, uh, I wouldn't say staple, but very popular card. 
Then we have the ones that are going down this week. Thrumming Stone. Yeah, uh, this is one of those, you know, kind of a, a cards very similar in the same vein as uh, you know, Doubling Season and uh, Gauntlet of Power. Like, kind of one of those, like, casual card fervor type cards. Eclipse the Unthinkables and they're one in that vein. Um, I think it's more, you know, Commander kind of filling all the casual players' time and energy. You're not seeing a lot of the Relentless Rat decks for fun anymore that you used to. So cards like Throwing Stone are, are losing their, their value. You also have Mirror Gallery. Uh, it's, in a, you know, again, a, a very similar feeling, if not the exact same feeling. Uh, you know, the, the kind of the connection between these cards is, you know, look at singleton formats and then look at what the effects these cards have. Um, you know, again, formerly very popular cards in social circle, you know, social magic casual circles. Um, you know, Commander is all the rage right now, so all this kind of stuff that um, involves multiple copies of a card, not as exciting. And a card I really like is Sierra Sanctum. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Enchantress variants not so popular in the most recent Legacy tournament. Uh, this this card and card like Gaia's Cradle had a lot of room to fluctuate. Uh, they had both kind of spiked a lot in value in the last few months because of speculation in the legacy market. And Sarah Sanctum is one that's taking more of a hit more recently on its way back down to like, oh wait a second, this isn't in you know the best deck that's winning tournaments left and right. Uh, it's you know still obviously a strong card, but uh, coming back down to value. Now, the last two, one is not surprising, but the last one is. We'll go to the one that's not surprising, and that's Soul Ring. Yep, yep. Wizards, um, big announcement this week, which I swear I felt it. I felt it. I mean, I, maybe I didn't feel it being in every single one of the decks, but it, it just, like, every all the buzz I've been hearing about this format and all the buzz I've been hearing from even, like, you know, Sheldon talking about accessibility of cards for players and, you know, making these commander staples actual staples for everyone, but... Soul Ring is going to be, you're going to see infinite more copies than there were before the release of the Commander Precons, as every last one of them has one. And it's actually kind of nice, because I'm not a fan of the From the Vault foiling process, but I was a fan of the artwork on this card um, from the From the Vault series, which is the version you're getting with the Commander deck. So I'm actually pretty pleased you get to see kind of a, a more, you know, subdued kind of like uh, art face for this, or card templating, I guess, for this. But you still get the, the, the awesome artwork for Soaring. And the last one that I'm kind of surprised with how versatile it is in a lot of decks is Aethervile. Well, yeah, you know, it wasn't a, a, exactly a home run in the uh, most recent Grand Prix, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that on a list where Standstill is on the way up, that Vile also wouldn't be on the way up. But I think that it um, it's kind of bubbled recently. Uh, so many you know people are kind of disillusioned in Legacy with their, you know, Merfolk's the best deck. I need to have my, my four vial for my Merfolk decks. But that obviously uh, Providence results have shown us otherwise and more diverse decks. So it's, uh, again, one of those coming back to reality kind of prices, I like to think, where it's a card was ballooned a lot because it's, you know, obviously amazing in this Eternal format. Um, so obviously still very good, obviously still very playable, probably not worth more than $20 right now. Uh, and that's where Ether Via falls right now. Well, that's our up and down, and we're at the final thoughts. Anything else you want to talk about this week? Seems like a short week. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I really haven't a whole lot of time to uh, dip my nose into magical pools with all of the uh, 
preparation I've got to do for the Pro Tour coming up. Just, uh, you know, packing logistics and travel logistics. And I've learned a lot about the Nagoya subway system, which I never thought I would learn. I've also learned how to read a Japanese map, which I never thought I'd be able to do. Uh, again, a lot of stuff. But, um, you know, hopefully we can arrange something while I'm off on the islands next week and we can record while we're out there. And I'm sure I'll have much more interesting stuff to talk about at that point. Well, that's always a good thing because that's the amazing thing about Skype is you can work anywhere. <laughs> I, it's a wonderful product, and when I did my interview with Paulo, I sure wasn't doing it from across the street, that's sure. I think this is going to be an exciting weekend. You have two events going on simultaneously at the same time with the Invitational and GP Singapore at the same time. I think it's going to be interesting for magic players in general because they're going to be a lot of them will be eyeballing in two different directions very much so yes so any predictions (laughs) any 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 outside of owen's going to make top eight again which is not even a prediction anymore Uh, um almost becomes status quo are 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 you predicting anything i'm predicting some very exciting limited feature matches in the coverage at this event uh, I think that you know you haven't seen a lot of pro perspective on New Phyrexia in the draft format yet, um, so it's going to be a lot of fun to kind of see initial feelings and initial results. It reminds me a lot of uh, the Grand Prix in Australia uh, right after Scars came out that Luis top eighted in, and uh, just you know kind of you know watching how people. Uh, assess the commons and uncommons and how their decks came together and how they played out is going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, black, block formats, black formats, uh, block formats are very exciting from a, from a, um, or, or sorry, they can be. Sometimes they can be stagnant and very unexciting. But this one seems, it seems like there's some decks. I mean, I've definitely lived through block formats where there's a deck, you know, hopefully two decks, so there's something to play against the, the deck. Uh, but this one seems more wide open on the surface right now. I mean, who knows? Maybe somewhere in some cave off in some Pacific Rim island, uh, you know, somebody, maybe it's a fireballer or not, has more or less broken the format. But, again, that's one of those exciting things we'll get to see in a week or so. Uh, the one thing that will really help people, if you're interested in getting a sneak peek of what's going on, is reading Webb's articles, rares and mythics and uncommons, the good ones to play, and how they fit into draft orders. I think that's a small insight into what might be happening as far as when they're sitting at that table and what they're looking to take. Uh, I mean, again, um, you know, there was so much talk when Besiege came out that kind of the, the pro player reviews of it weren't very helpful for Limited because so many of the rares were so powerful. It was just like, you know, take the bomb, all right, haha, move on, whatever. Um, so again, it's it's interesting now. We're starting with a different pack. You're starting with a different set. You know, you know how how does how does that feel? Um, so again, like you know, Web might be the only guy really actively writing about it right now. Uh, so many of the the pros are just in preparation mode for the pro tour that they don't really have to stop and be like, okay, well, here's my pick order and here's what I think you should you know take out of these packs and this kind of thing, uh, which yeah, again, makes the coverage for the pro tour all the more exciting. Also, there's one other thing that we forgot to discuss this week, and that's the new show on Channel Fireball, the show. 
I think it has a name. I'm not sure if it does. Anyway, uh, you've got um, Matt Sperling coming back. Uh, you know, was a writer for us, then not a writer for us. Now back as a writer for us. He is, uh, I don't want to say a camera hog, but definitely a... Um, a, uh, he's very active on his blog. If you go to, to Sperling Grove, uh, I, I enjoy it thoroughly. And he has just one more arena to kind of um, voice his opinions, which are, are many. Uh, and you've got uh, Paul Reitzel, kind of the uh, you know r- resident uh, pro tour finalist and uh, definitely magic grinder as well as unfortunate Bruins fan. And a uh, long-time Channel Fireball associate, Mashi, who uh, was originally Luis's co-host on the Magic TV show that he more or less took from me, but now I have regained it, and, uh, and he's moved on to his new show. It's a good group, and I've really enjoyed them. It's good to get opinions of people that you don't normally hear from on video. And anytime you can expand that, it always helps because there's something about having a video than reading an article. I mean, it, there's just a difference. You get a feeling of it, you get their emotion, and what they're providing you is. Yeah, it's a. I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm more of a you know I'm, I'm an audio video person and not so much the text person. That's why uh, it was one of the, the hurdles I had when trying to write articles for the website. And I'd much rather be just running my app like this and definitely uh, enjoy the video. So I am. Uh, I'm in that camp as well. That kind of goes without saying. I don't really have much anything else to add this week outside of the fact that uh, good luck and safe travels because, obviously, Conley got lost and sent to a wrong hotel. And <laughs> Not surprising. It's Conley who's already lost over there and, and things messed up already. Well, like I said, hopefully I will have uh, interesting insight to bring you uh, from the event location, and uh, until then, that's all I got. All right. Then where can we be reached at? <laughs> we'll start with you, because we always seem to lose you. Oh, okay. Well, you can reach me at uh, Robert at Channel Fireball or on Twitter as the Beamy. There you go. Uh, I'm TSG at ChannelFireball.com, and you can follow me at Tristan Gregson on Twitter. And uh, for the four of you still listening, thanks for tuning in, and hopefully I'll have some content for you next week. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.